Welcome back to Saturday Tailgate Radio. I'm Ryan Palmieri. With me, as always, Tom Bianchi. We actually have a first-time guest on the show. One of our writers, Mike Burby, will be on with us as well, diving into all things Big 12 football. And we actually got a great thing to kick it off with. Gary Patterson hits a home run, gets his first five-star ever with Zach Evans going to TCU after a wild recruitment process. Tom, I'll start with you. Kind of thoughts, opinions. What are you feeling about Zach Evans? All right. So, yeah, as everybody knows, Zach Evans had a wild recruitment. Um, to kind of sum it up really short, uh, he didn't really acknowledge who he was signing with for a while. Um, we later found out that it was Georgia, although he never officially announced that. He ended up uh, getting released from his letter um, of intent from Georgia. And then he went back on the recruiting trail, uh, you know, kept it quiet, visited a bunch of schools and somehow ended up in TCU with Gary Patterson. So there's uh, definitely a lot of opinions on, okay, you know, this kid's obviously an outstanding talent, arguably the best running back in the class. I mean, he's rated number two by 247 Sports, but he, he has this weird history in, in his recruitment. Uh, and, you know, some of that stems from some potential issues that he had in, in high school uh, with uh, getting suspended for a few games. So I'm here to say T. TCU fans just are in a win-win situation right now. This is an outstanding recruit that they, that Gary Patterson got. And there's really no reason to worry too much because if things don't work out, I mean, what did you lose really? Uh, you know, even if Zach Evans moves on or doesn't live up to the hype, you, you didn't really lose much. It's not like, you know, you're a team like Ohio State or Georgia where if you land a high-end recruit like this, you're pushing away other high-end recruits. So I think this is just a win-win for TCU. Do you, um, going off of that, how long do you think he's going to be around at TCU? Because he's bringing in this, this star capability that they haven't had. And, I mean, the Big 12 already has some great running backs that he's going to contend with. But do you think he's going to stick around a couple of years and then try going pro or – or try and transfer, what do you think he's going to Yeah, so, that? so that's a good question. And I'm sure that's what a lot of TCU fans are questioning as well. Um, and I would say, realistically, if TCU stays kind of a middle-tier team and he ends up, you know, getting his head on his shoulders and just lighten it up, I, I I'm, would put my money on it that he's probably going to transfer out. But, again, it's still a win-win for, for TCU here. Um, and even if he, even if he does transfer out, it's it's a major win for for the first few years that he's there. Um, and there's always a chance that you know he builds that relationship with Gary Patterson, and TCU actually gets better because their coach is pretty damn good, and he just sticks with them. So, I'll, I gotta say, you know, playing devil's advocate a little bit here, I well, I'll never complain. I think it's a fantastic thing. He was the number 16 overall player in the country on two four seven. However. I think you kind of have to worry because first he's not a guy you redshirt because he's not going to be in college football, a college football or college for four years. He's an NFL type guy being so high caliber. So, you know, you have him for three years if he sticks around. And I know he's kind of had a shady, I guess shady may be a bad word for it, but he, you know, his recruiting process was such a headache. He had some issues in high school and we're not talking, you know, DeAndre Baker robbing people at a cookout problems. We're talking very yeah. mundane little things. Yeah, I, I remember just to interject real quick, uh, 
you know, I, again, we don't want people to get the, the wrong idea. Um, you know, from what I've read a lot and researched, a lot of his, you know, issues were, were very mild. I think one of the, one of his suspensions was over like him using his phone on, on the bus or something like that, or in between games. So, you know, th this kid is it's not like um, you're inheriting like a massive headache of trouble, but there's, there's definitely some, some issues there. I think it'd be fair. You know, there's probably some maturity in growing up. I mean, we're talking about an 18 year old kid at the end of the day. Yeah, not maybe not even eighteen when those things happen. So, right, give them the benefit of the doubt for sure. And that's so honestly, you know. But looking from TCC, TCU's point, it's got to be kind of tough knowing like you have this generational talent that Gary Patterson's never landed. He's the highest recruit TCU's ever had, but you also don't know if he's going to be out the door at any moment because we've already seen with the NCAA, they will let star players walk and play immediately. We saw it with Tate Martell. We saw it with Justin Fields. All you need to do is bring a lawyer to the table and you're going to walk. So if I'm TCU and you have this generational talent and you can't redshirt and you know you want to get them in the action, which is great, and they just graduated most of their production in the running back room, so he should be a day one starter. I'm just kind of worried moving forward of let's just get the most we can out of this kid short term because I don't know if he's here tomorrow. Yeah, and, and again, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I still think it's a win-win because you're not getting this kind of talent normally. So let's, you know, take them for the year that you get them and then, you know, move on with it. But I, uh, Mike mentioned it earlier. The, uh, the Big 12 is going to be just stacked with running back talent next year. It's going to be great to watch. Uh, just imagine uh, TCU versus Texas. That's already going to be a great game considering TCU freaking beat Texas last year. And then you pile on the fact that we're going to be able to watch uh, as true freshman, the number one running back and B. John Robinson at Texas versus the number two running back, uh, you know, Zachary Evans at TCU. And that's definitely going to be a good game. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, branching out on that a little bit more in what you mentioned, him being the highest recruit they've ever landed at TCU. How does this change the recruiting process for them do you think they're going to bring in higher talent now that they opened up that door or is it going to take a little bit longer to convince more guys to come in and play for them I don't know I gotta say Gary Patterson's actually been kind, kind of a hot streak lately um, if you look at uh, 247 sports they rank from 2000 till today all the highest rated recruits a school has had down at the bottom and while Zachary Evans is number one you look at the top five guys, Zachary Evans in the class of 2020, Justin Rogers, who's no longer there, but he was there at 2018. It was a four-star. Quentin Johnson, class of 2020. So, and then even if you go to number six, also another class of 2020 in Garrett Hayes. Gary Patterson seems to have hit another level recruiting at TCU. So I think maybe Zachary Evans could tap into that. Basically, the way I look at this is you hit a home run. You got, you know, you landed, you got the local kid, he's coming in. Uh, he played right there at North Shore, so it's not far off from where TCU is. Long term, I don't know if he, this one piece is enough to totally change TCU. Just just to build off that, I think, again, as far if we're looking at just not turning TCU around and, you know, making them a top-tier team, but just looking at their recruiting and how that's going to affect recruiting moving forward, I think this solely depends with how long uh, he stays with TCU. So if Evans is in and out in a year, you know, probably 
not going to affect recruiting that much. Even if he stays two years, though, and then uses his last year to go somewhere else, well, he would have more years, but chances are he's going to end up in the NFL. So he'll probably only be in college for three years. But still, imagine he goes uh, TCU for two years and then moves on to like a top tier uh, SEC school. I, I think that is still going to go very well for TCU in, in recruitment. So I think this has the potential to have some serious implications on TCU's recruitment. Although it's one of those things, I'll believe it when I see it. I got to see him stick around for longer than a year before I before I really believe that that's going to happen. I'm excited too because I think Max Duggan's legit. I think he's going to really take a next step this year. And I think when you pair those two together, because like I said, Zach Evans, he is a day one guy. He's going to start. He should at least get a serious amount of playing time day one. So I am curious to see. I think he can open up the offense a little bit. I think he's exciting. And even though TCU has a junior running back coming back with a little bit of production, I think Evans, I think he can help take this offense over the top. And as everybody knows, a Gary Patterson defense is never really an issue. Um, they graduated some talent last year. There's some concerns there. And I don't want, you know, I kind of came across as, I don't want to say this was a negative that you land him. It's fantastic to land a player of this caliber. I just have some concerns about it. But overall, I think, if TCU can, you know, everything can mesh and stay happy and great, I think they can have a hell of an offense to pair with a great defense and kind of bounce back after two lower-end years under Patterson. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think uh, I think that sums it up pretty well. So, speaking of kind of, uh, you know, a solid offense, you know, when you think of solid offense, you think of the Big 12, but you also, more specifically, you think about Oklahoma. So, I'd like to – start talking about Oklahoma's recruiting 2021 recruiting class quite very excited about that we had a big big couple of days there so four days ago the Sooners 2021 class was sitting at number 45 in the league in 247's composite rankings for, for the whole class and number seven in the big 12 you know while teams like UNC and a um, couple of big 12 like West Virginia are really basking in the glory of these way too early rankings. Oklahoma was just biding their time, man. They were just biding their time. They're going after these big name recruits. So as of Friday, uh, OU landed two pretty big recruits, the number one wide receiver in the class, Mario Williams, uh, and four-star outside linebacker Clayton Smith. And that propelled them to number 24 in the league and number three in the Big 12 as far as the uh, recruit, recruiting rankings go. So definitely a big uh, big day for them. So I guess the question is, as we start to kind of see the recruiting class pick up, especially with a solid defensive class, can they rival a Texas recruiting class for 2021? Yeah, I mean, kind of going off of that too, the, the question that came up when you were mentioning that is how important is it for Oklahoma to bring in these top tier recruiting classes to stay at the level they're at because they're they're the team everybody's chasing in the conference year after year what happens if they have an off year in recruiting are they gonna are they gonna drop in the rankings or in the standings or you know that's just what I was thinking at least and I think another thing, too, to look, so they have like a 25th rated class right now, third in the Big 12, but the recruiting rankings, it's a flawed system because it works off of points, but it also works off how many people you bring in. So if you look right now, Tennessee's number two, and they've been hot, um, but they have like 21 commits in their class. However, if you look at the average rating per player, 
it's around 89. And if you look at the average rating of the Oklahoma player in the Oklahoma's class, it's 92, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's actually a big difference. So it's a difference of the class that Oklahoma has, there's not a lot of guys in it, but the talent level is top five. Right. And another reason for them not having a lot of players in it is because they're going after that top tier talent and the top tier talent is not going to, they're not going to commit until towards the, the end. They're waiting as long as they can to push out their commitment and, you know, kind of get the buzz going around them and all that, you know, they're not committing right out right away, like real early, like some of these less talented players. Um, so, um, you know, we're talking about the high level talent that Oklahoma is going after. So there are a few players that really stick out to me that are still, that are still targets right now that haven't committed, but are heavily leaning towards Oklahoma, which can, I think can take this class to like best in the big 12 uh, and very easily right back up to the top 10 in the league. So first up is offensive guard, Bryce Foster, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen any of his highlights or anything, but his Twitter handle, or I don't know if it's this handle, but whatever, his Twitter name is Bryce the Mountain Foster, and his profile picture is uh, the guy from Game of Thrones, the Mountain. The kid is an absolute beast. Uh, he does, like, shot put and all that stuff. An absolute unit. So he's a four-star that um, he's going between, uh, I believe, uh, top four – I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head, but Oklahoma and Texas A&M are, I think, the top two uh, when you look at, like, uh, 247's crystal ball predictions. However, uh, when you look at the all of the crystal ball predictions, the majority of them do go to Oklahoma. So he's definitely a lean towards Oklahoma, which would be great. Um, again, you you look at the offensive line coaching that Oklahoma has, and I, I honestly think it's a shoo-in um, in, in uh, Bill Bedenbaugh there, or Bedenbaugh. And then you've also got the running five-star running back, Kamar Wheaton, uh, who's the, the number two running back in that class. That's also another OU target and crystal ball, 247 crystal ball predictions have him going to Oklahoma. And then third and last of, of these big name targets is five-star quarterback, Caleb Williams. So I've, the, all of these guys, according to 247 sports, are leaning towards OU. And if they can land these three, I mean – on top of some of their other many targets, this is going to be an absolutely huge recruiting class. So with them recruiting, you know, basically so everything we've been seeing over the last few years is Texas has been out recruiting them, but Texas can't develop them. I've seen some crazy stat the other day about uh, the blue chip players Texas has landed. About I think it was like 12% of them go to the NFL compared to like Alabama, Auburn, that puts like 85% of their blue chip guys into the NFL. So Texas just can't develop. And, Oklahoma's proven they can develop because they keep making playoff games. And now if they're bringing the recruits in, are you saying in like two, three years when these guys develop, they're not going to lose by a 60 in the playoff? Yes, that is what I'm saying. I just wanted to, I just wanted to yeah, check. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. It definitely, it wasn't 60, by the way, you know, the, the, the number escapes me right now. I try to block out a lot of that, that, uh, a 2019 playoff game, but. Listen, Joe Purvis ran out of time. He'd still be scoring touchdowns. They let the game yeah. keep going. Uh, but this is, you know, something actually I wanted to dive into. One of the reasons we had Mike on coaches in the big, obviously the big 12, a little bit repetitive there. And you can read it on Saturday tailgate. He just goes through to one through 10 at the top, you know, no surprise, Lincoln Riley, and Mike Gundy at two. Uh, Mike, I kind of have a few questions for you though. Um, some, you know, I didn't totally agree with. Mm-hmm. 
you have Dave Aranda at five. Your yeah. thoughts? So the only reason why I was really pairing him um, fifth is because of his success at LSU. He was the defensive coordinator. I mean, LSU's defense was was lights out last year to go along with the the offense. It was kind of overshadowed by the whole Joe Burrow um, campaign going on, but he definitely led a stellar LSU defense, and they've always been known for their defense, and that was one of the best ones I've seen them put out in the field. And with Baylor being a very defensive-minded team, as long as he can rebuild that defense a little bit because they lost a few players, but for the most part, they're going to be pretty solid again. I just think that you know they're heavily relying on their defense. I think that he's a great fit for them, and that he's gonna he's gonna have them maybe not contending for the top of the conference um, because that kind of depends on Charlie Brewer staying healthy and whatnot. But their defense is going to be one of the best in the in the conference, and that's saying a lot because the Big Twelve is not known for their defense whatsoever. And I'm a fan of Rand. I think he's a hell of a coach. I think he's a great defensive mind. I just, you know, his first year in the, in the conference, and it's like a big first-time head coaching job. Um, another one I was a little interested in, I wanted you to get to feedback. If I may interject in there real yeah. quick, Ryan, I've got something on Dave Aranda, because when I did my little rankings, I had Aranda um, at seven. And just to build off of what Mike was saying, uh, I think that Aranda has a history of coming in pretty much in the first year or right away and making a difference in teams. I wrote a quick piece on it. Dave Aranda is the key to Baylor's defense in 2020. You know, it sounds pretty uh, straightforward, the title there. But when he was at uh, Utah State, he inherited a defense that was absolutely atrocious, uh, a deal with eight upperclassmen from 86 to 31st in the defensive S&P Plus. Uh, you know, he did something similar when he was at Wisconsin, again, in the first year. Um, and then the same thing with LSU. Um, he took them to 34th in the S&P Plus to second in the S&P Plus defensive ranking in his first year. So at, at first, I was very skeptical about Dave Aranda coming in as a head coach. And not, not I shouldn't say that. Only skeptical of him having a difference in the first year. But after I looked at some of those numbers and the impact that he had on his previous teams in year one, it made me a lot more confident in him. So I didn't have him as high as Mike, but I had him at uh, I had him at number seven. So. I don't know what that's from. I, I do like the hire. I think he's a good coach. It's just, you know, year one. And I think actually when you look top to bottom, the Big 12 is actually a, it's a well-coached conference. Um, because at first, you know, you have Tom Herman at six. And when I'm reading Get through, out of here with that crap. I, <laughs> I was like, that's insane, Tom Herman at six. And then, you know, the more you start to think about it and you look at his struggling, developing, and he loses a lot. He drops like weird games. He's never really – I think he's been to, what, one Big 12 title and they lost, I believe. Um, he's not living up to the billing that everyone expected. And he's on the hot seat coming into this year. So that, you know, it makes sense. But what doesn't make sense to me, you have Chris Kleiman. Um, I believe Chris Kleiman was, he was number, number three. three. Yep. And then you have Neil Brown at number eight. Yeah. So at least with Kleiman, um, I mean, I was looking at who he was replacing. So, um, you know, you were looking at Bill Snyder, who had been there for ever, basically, since the program originated, seemingly. But 
Um, so taking a team that's kind of mediocre, it kind of finishes in the middle of the, the Big 12 and making the leap from an FCS team that's been hugely successful, but still nonetheless going from FCS to FBS and not losing a beat with Kansas State. And he's just had that successful uh, past, I guess, with him. Um, and I'm not saying, again, that they're going to contend for the top of the conference. But to not lose anything, bringing in that different type of a coach from somebody you've had there forever, um, I just think that that uh, deserves a lot of respect for him. Uh, and again, I don't knock Chris Kleiman. I just, you know, when I start to look at it is uh, Neil Brown comes from Troy. I think his first season, I don't know, they maybe won like one or two games. And all of a sudden he starts ripping off 10 win seasons. They upset LSU. And then he goes into Morgantown last year with zero expectations. And looking at the roster, I think their over-under was like four wins. He pulled off five. They finished strong. They still fell apart here and there. However, I think looking at what he had versus what Chris Kleiman had, Neil Brown had a lot less to work with. And that happened with cycling through quarterbacks last year. He couldn't even find a guy to start until they moved to Jared Doge at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And one other point, I do believe West Virginia beat Kansas State last year. Well, so, I mean, you know, they, they, got a, they got a good win in there. But <laughs> I was right. looking at the fact that um, Kansas State, I believe, had more upsets throughout the season. They defeated Oklahoma for their only loss during the regular season they in that, that wild game. Um, they also beat Iowa State, who at the time was ranked, and they narrowly lost in their bowl game to another ranked Navy team. So in terms of playing ranked teams, you know, their win-to-loss ratio is a lot better than some of these other teams in the Big 12. And that has to do partly with Chris Kleiman being the head coach there. So I was actually pretty high on Kleiman as well because, you know, the year before he arrived, Kansas State was 5-7, and seven, uh, middle of the, the road, Big 12, if that, and then eight and five last year. And, you know, all the things that you were saying right there, Mike, I, I think that he came in and made a difference right away in, in his first year. And I thought he deserved a lot of respect for that. So, well, one thing I wanted to be clear on when we're ranking these coaches, we're, we're not ranking like kind of whole history, right? We're looking at what they've done in the past, maybe year or two, uh, you know, for some of these guys like Aranda, it's what we expect them to do in 2020. So we're really, it, it, that's really what it is, is what we're expecting them to do in 2020 based on pretty much just last year, I guess. So I think yeah. we're, we're all on the same page with that, right? Because obviously we've got people like uh, Les Miles and, you know, uh, Gary Patterson in here who I'm talking, you know, his, historically would be much higher than mm -hmm. what I had them, uh, you know, in the past year. So, but uh, for me, it, this was really tough to rank these coaches because you know, I wanted to rank uh, Les Miles and uh, Gary Patterson a little higher, but you know, how it's really hard to judge somebody on on one year just stepping into a program. So yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, with D Dave Aranda and Neil Brown and them, they haven't had a huge impact, or they're just coming into the league. And Les Miles, I had to really you know think about what they're going to do here and not what they've done in the past and that yeah, kind true. of 
tweaked my rankings a little bit. I was pretty close to your rankings, but yeah, it's tough. I would argue that Neil Brown is actually uh, having an impact on West Virginia, I think. Uh, I think that Holgerson, especially in like recruiting, kind of left West Virginia quite a bit of a mess. And while West Virginia is having their struggles on the field, I think Neil Brown is doing a hell of a job recruiting-wise to kind of, uh, you know, take takes a, a little step forward every single year. So I think we could expect some good things out of West Virginia. Maybe not in 2020. I could see 2020 being another mad year for them. But I think coming down the pipeline, West Virginia is going to be a, a legitimate team in the Big 12. Definitely. Yeah, I agree with Tell that. Me, don't sleep on West Virginia this year. Right. I think they're going to have – they could arguably have the best defense in the Big 12. I know it's kind of crazy to say with Baylor and Jeff Aranda, um, Dave Aranda, sorry. Um, what are you, you're, you're not even going to mention Sooner Speed D? No, I'm not because I just don't. <laughs> you know, two of Alex Grinch. I mean, I like, listen, I think, Grinch is, I think Grinch is a good D coordinator. I really do. Um, I don't think he's quite there yet. And the other thing with Grinch is he never sticks around that long. So you never get to see, again, this is only year two for him. So I think they're going to improve even more. They're going to get better. There's already been, you know, we've already had, I think, two rumors. Um, I think one for Colorado job and then one for Washington State, I think. But yeah, um, of of rumors of Alex Grinch possibly leaving. Obviously, he's sticking around for now, but uh, you know that, that's that's a good point as far as how long is he going to stick around. Um, jokes aside, do do I think the Sooners' defense is going to be the best in the Big Twelve next year? Probably not, but um, statistically, they did pretty damn good last year. And although it didn't show in the playoff game, you know, I did I do think their defense took a step forward last year in Grinch's first year. So I expect another step forward uh in in twenty twenty with Grinch's second year. So best in the Big Twelve, maybe not, but I think I think their defense is going to be much more respectable than it has in the past. Well I think uh I think people that say like the Big Twelve doesn't have a defense, I think that's kind of an outdated lazy take because oh, yeah, you, you start looking through this league and the reason I'm kind of here campaigning for West Virginia and their defense is that Darius Stills up the middle they were a top 25 in sacks last year they returned most of their D-line they got a couple linebackers coming back they just have a transfer safety come in from the Pac-12 the offense has still got their issues they still need to figure it out they need to see if Doge can take the next step and they need to find a real playmaker on offense. However, with that defense, I think they could be incredibly competitive. Um, and I think as they move away with Austin, move away from Austin Kendall, who had four picks against Texas, and he kind of fell apart at times, and they can clean those things up. I think that I don't know. I'm telling you, I think I think West Virginia is going to surprise some people this year. Well, they would surprise me if they were above average. I'll put it that way. Coming down the pipeline, I really, you know, they'll. I think they'll be good, but mm-hmm. that would surprise me. The yeah. last thing you're ever going to hear is country roads as that pickup truck rolls up on you somewhere. Yeah. Wait till the next tailgate. <laughs> if that's how I go, then that's how I go. <laughs> All right, guys. So you can uh, catch us on Saturday tailgate. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe. You can join in the discussion. We just started message boards on the website as well, so we can dive in, talk more teams, talk coaches. Uh, make sure to tune in next week. We'll be covering the Big 12 realignment. I know that's always a hot topic. So thanks for listening. From Mike, me, and Tom, we'll see you guys next week.